One of my favorite songs to sing when I was a youth pastor for my kids was a song called He's Still Working on Me. I'm going to call my family up here and we're going to sing too today. No, not really. But I am going to, let me read you the first verse in the chorus. It says, there really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part. But I'll be perfect just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hand. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. He's loving, how loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. And I love that song, and I wish it wasn't considered a kid's song, because it reminds us of the truth that we haven't arrived yet. We are all still works in progress. I can honestly say that because of Jesus, I'm different. I'm not who I used to be, but at the same time, I recognize that I'm not fully what I ought to be. There's areas of my life that aren't as they should be, but thankfully, Jesus isn't finished with me yet. He's still working on me, making me what I ought to be. What's true of me is also true of you. If you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you should be able to see a legitimate difference in your life. There should be some areas of your life where you can look at and you can say, I'm different here because of Jesus. At the same time, there are areas of your life that when you examine them, you see that they're quite a bit different than what they ought to be. And it's important for us to know that this is okay because he's still working on us to make us what we ought to be. As one pastor says, it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And what he means is in this life, we're never fully going to be okay. There are always going to be areas of our life that need work. There are always going to be areas of our life where we need to be more like Jesus. But the fact that we're not going to be perfect in this life shouldn't make us complacent. It shouldn't cause us to sit still and just say, well, this is how it is and this is the best I'm going to get. We should always be striving to be what the Lord wants us to be. We should always be striving to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. And this morning we're going to look at a passage that's going to show us some areas of our life where we should grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Open your Bible to Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 is where we're starting. It's page 899 in the Pew Bible. When you find that, I'll ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. The Apostle Paul says, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and discernment. That you may approve of things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And being filled with all the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory, the praise of God. The title of the message this morning is Growing in Grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise. Father, we need you to guide us. We need you to hold our hand and to lead us every day so that we can be what we ought to be. Today, as we look at this passage, help us to examine our lives in light of your word. Help us, God, to have hearts that are open to your Holy Spirit. Help us to, to desire you more than anything else in this world and this time. Help us to lay aside the cares of life and, and just be centered upon you. Fill me right now with your Holy Spirit that I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. Help us to respond in ways that testify to the fact that you are Lord over our lives, that we are your children and we want to be like Jesus. Be glorified in all that happens, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. The 
text we're looking at is Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. By writing it down, Paul not only tells them what or that he's praying for them, he's telling them what specifically he prays for them about. And if you look at it, what he's praying for is them to grow in grace. He wants them to become more and more like Jesus. And what I like about this is that Paul, we know, is praying according to God's will for them. God has revealed to us in Scripture that God's desires that we would be like Jesus, that all that God has done in our lives has been done to save us and to sanctify us so that we can become more and more like Jesus. And that ought to be the desire of our hearts as well. We ought to want to be like Jesus just as much as God wants us to be like Jesus. The reason we have to know that God is working in our hearts and that we, we need to strive for this is because if we're not striving to go forward, we, we begin to fall back. It just seems to be a, a truth in life that you cannot stand still in your spiritual life. You're either growing in Christ's likeness or you're going back to being the person you used to be before you met Jesus. And so we always want to strive to go forward. We always want to make forward progress. And as we look at this passage, it shows us that God works in me so that I can love deeper, I can understand more, Live purely and be fruitful for his glory. Right? This, that basically is the elements of Paul's prayer for the Philippians. This is, if Paul were to write to our church, these are the same, the same things he would pray for us. So as we seek to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, here are some areas we need to grow in. First, I need to grow in my love for others. Right? Paul says in verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more, and more. Right? And the idea of the love abounding with Paul there, it's not just that your love would grow a little bit, right? but that it would, it would overflow, that it would abound more and more. Right? And so just picture an, an overflow of love, right? that God's love in our hearts would, would so fill our hearts that it would overflow in how we treated and loved and cared for others. And that's an important concept for us to understand it, that God's love for us, it ought to change the way we treat others. It ought to cause us to love others. Loving other believers, other people in general, is a huge part of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. When Jesus was giving his last lecture to his disciples and he wanted them to understand the, the, the number one way that people would know they were his. Here's what he said. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. There's a song that we sometimes sing, because they'll know us by our love. Right? That, is, that is the way Christians are supposed to be known. Jesus didn't say that we would be known as His by the way that we voted. Right? He didn't say that we would be known as His by the protest signs that we held up. He said that we will know, the world will know that we are His in the way that we love and care for other people. The Apostle John hears Jesus make this statement, and then he takes it and he applies it. And he says, by this we know love, because He, Jesus, laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Right? This is very much a... A taking of what Jesus said about no greater love has no one than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. But John also is a practical guy. 
John knows that in the real world, there aren't just a lot of chances to die for other people. So John doesn't want us to say, well, I, would, I love them so much I'd die for them. And then that's all, because the, the opportunities to do that aren't clear and aren't often. So here's what he says instead. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? John said, I know you're probably not going to have a lot of opportunities to go out and die in the place of another, but here's what you do instead. You help. If you see a brother or a sister in Christ and they have a need and you have the ability to help, you do what you can. Right? You do what you can to help. Now, in John's day, it's different than ours a little bit. In John's day, the one resource they had very little of was money. And they had more time. So to give money to someone in need was a huge sacrifice for them. But our culture is almost the opposite of that. For most of us, we have more money than time. Right? Giving $20 and going on our way is a whole lot easier than going and mowing somebody's lawn. That is a, it's a whole lot easier to give them money and send them on the way than it is to sit with them and listen to them and pray with them and be there. So this isn't just give them money, buy them groceries, send them on their way. This is if they have a need and you have the ability to help, you do what you can. And then John seals the deal by saying, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Anybody can say, I love you. But it's a whole different ball game to live that out and live that out in a way that demonstrates that you truly love them. The love that we are to have for other believers, it's not a love that just motivates us to say nice things. It's a love that motivates us to live differently toward them, to do things for them. Another challenging verse about love comes from the Apostle Peter. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Here's what he's saying. You were saved. The spirit of God has made you new. And now because of that, you are able to love other people. And now that you're able to truly to sincerely love others, you love them fervently. Now, there's a, a challenge and a command in there. The command to love others fervently, to love them sincerely. The challenge is that as believers in Jesus Christ, that means we can. That's part of Peter's point. We have been made new. We are now able to genuinely love others. We are able to sincerely and fervently love other people. And since we're able... We need to do it. Now, one more passage I want us to look at. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Probably you thought to yourself, we're talking about love. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. And we are. That's page 878 if you have your pew Bibles. First Corinthians 13 is really all about love. And normally we look at verses 4 through 6 and we will just kind of casually hit those in a minute. But what I really want us to focus on is the first few verses that tell us the importance of love. Now, because that's what we're talking about. Why? Why do we need to grow in the grace of love? Because of how very important it is. Now, if you're familiar with the book of First Corinthians, you know 
that's a church that was having problems. It was filled with strife and division and all sorts of issues. And a lot of it was focused on spiritual gifts. So John, or Paul writes, and in chapter 12 he deals a lot with spiritual gifts. But notice how he ends chapter 12. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Right. He wants them to understand that spiritual gifts are good. They come from God, that God intends us to use them for his glory. And we should desire to have spiritual gifts that we can use for God's glory and the edification of the saints that we should. But there is a better way than just seeking spiritual gifts. And from that point, he launches into his teaching on love, saying as important as spiritual gifts may be, love it's most important. And he hammers on this at the end. Now, verse 13 of chapter 13. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. And so love is it's the thing. It's the most important thing. And he explains some ways, some pretty amazing ways to show how important love is. In verse 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. A big part of the problem they were having was with the issue of speaking in tongues. It was being done improperly. It was being done in a way that was drawing attention to self. And it was being seen as the gift that really testified about whether or not someone was spiritual. And Paul's point is, if you could speak every language in the world, but you didn't speak in love, it's no good. Right? We could use this and say... You can have all the knowledge, you can be the most eloquent speaker in the world, and you can explain the gospel and Jesus and the truth, all of that, in the best ways that anybody can. But if you don't speak with love, it's just noise. It's just so much noise that does no good to help people along the way. He goes on with this. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, right now, all mysteries, you could explain revelation in a way that a five-year-old could understand it. And you had all knowledge. And though I had faith that I could remove mountains. And that's big, right? The faith that could move a mountain. But I have not love. I am nothing. I mean, it doesn't matter. We have great faith and we have all this knowledge and all of this understanding. But without love, we're of no value. To the kingdom of God. And as if that wasn't hard enough, he presses it harder. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. I mean, I'm thinking, given everything I have to help the poor, willing to be a martyr for faith, those are big things, right? But if my motivation for doing those things isn't that I love Jesus and I love People, it's of no value whatsoever. So in the end, it doesn't matter what we know. It doesn't matter what we say. And it doesn't matter what we do if we don't have love. Love is the most important aspect. If I love God and I love people as I'm supposed to, Everything else will just kind of fall into place. Now, quickly, we're just going to look at verses 4 through 6. Because this is what love does. And all I want to do is challenge you to later read this and replace your name or replace love with your name. 
So when you read it, it would say something like this. Stacy suffers long and is kind. Stacy does not envy. Stacy does not parade himself and is not puffed up. Stacy does not behave rudely. Stacy does not seek his own. Stacy is not easily provoked. Stacy thinks no evil. Stacy does not rejoice in iniquity, but Stacy rejoices in the truth. Stacy bears all things. Stacy believes all things. Stacy hopes in all things. Stacy endures all things. Let me ask, when you put your name in the place of love, does it sound like you or does it sound fake and hollow? If it doesn't sound like you, there's there's work to be done. You need to grow in the grace of loving others. Go ahead and turn back to Philippians chapter one, because we not only need to grow in our love for others. We need to grow in my knowledge and understanding But the last of verse nine. He says, you may grow in knowledge and. And discernment that you may approve of things that are excellent. But he wants them to to grow in their knowledge of the, the ways and the will of God. To know God better. But not just for the sake of knowledge, but so that it would impact their lives. Right? He wants them to, to grow in the knowledge of discernment that they can approve of things which are excellent. In other words, that their knowledge of God, they are so close to God. They know God and His will and His ways so well. That when they have multiple options before them, they can see one is good, one is better, and one is best. And they would then choose what is best. Right? That they would have the ability to evaluate situations and opportunities and say, despite the fact that, that these are all available, this one is the best. This is the one that best reflects the will, the ways, and the one of God for my life. And then choose it. We need to grow in our knowledge And our understanding of who God is, what God is like. And not growing in our knowledge and understanding has has long been a problem for believers. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5 and look at verse 11. It's page 922 if you have a pew Bible. verse 11, the author of Hebrews says, of whom we have much to say, it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The idea of being dull of hearing is that they're just not paying attention. They're they're lazy with it really is kind of the idea. It's not that they their ears are stopped up or they're wearing earplugs or anything like that. They hear, but they don't do anything with it. It doesn't change their lives. They don't apply it. Right? Perhaps they read the Bible or they hear the preaching, but they don't let it shape who they are and, and how they live. It's just in one ear and out the other and they move on. Right? And this was causing a problem because look at the problem. For though at this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracle of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. If these weren't brand new believers, if these were brand new believers, this would be a whole different ballgame. These are people that have been believers for a while. At this point, 
They ought to be able to disciple others. But at this point, they ought to be able to go out to a lost and a dying world and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help them to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and then take them from that new birth to become fully devoted followers of Christ who also can go out and make disciples of all nations. But instead of people that have grown in the faith and been able to go out and to share with others, now all they are, they still need to be taught the very basics of Scripture. But he mentions this in chapter 6. Leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and doctrines of baptism and laying on of hands and resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. But they... They should have been able to teach others about repentance from dead works. They should have been able to teach others about faith towards God and what that means. They should have been able to explain to others why baptism was necessary and important. But they couldn't. Instead, they still needed to be explained the very basics of the gospel themselves. He says that they had need of milk And not meat in the King James. Solid food in the New King James. And the idea is that they just... It's like a baby. That a newborn baby doesn't need a T-bone steak. A newborn baby needs milk. And as they grow, the food gets more solid until eventually they get the T-bone steaks. As believers, we need... Newborn believers, we need these basic... The milk we need... To be taught the elementary principles. We need to be taught about repentance and faith, baptism and living for Jesus. But as we grow, there ought to come a time where we don't need to be taught those things as much anymore. For a couple of reasons. One reason is we know them. Right. That there ought to come a time in our lives as believers when we understand repentance and faith. And baptism and salvation enough that we can then explain it to others. Another thing, reason we need to grow is because there also ought to come a time in which we can teach ourselves. But as believers in Jesus Christ, there there should come a time where we can move beyond having to have somebody teach us things to where we can take the Bible and study it and learn and grow and be challenged by it through our own reading. A believer that has been saved for years and cannot feed themselves, so to speak, is developmentally delayed. There's a problem in their spiritual lives. And notice he goes on, he says, For everyone that partakes of milk only is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that those, that is, those who by reason of use have exercised have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Those who grow spiritually, who move beyond these basics, learn to feed themselves. What they learn to do is to have discernment. They learn to be able to recognize the difference between bad and good, between better and best. And part of the idea, their exercise to discern both good and evil, is that they can also choose, right? It's not that they can just see this is wrong and this is right, but that they then choose to do what's right. And this happens as we begin to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I I think part of it is that as we grow in our understanding 
in our knowledge of who God is and what God's like. Part of it is we don't necessarily need a thou shalt or a thou shalt not to determine what's right or wrong in our lives. But that we can say, you know what, here's what God is like. And, and this isn't explicitly taught in Scripture. But I know what God is like and I know what God generally wants. And I'm going to say this isn't what's right for me. And I think about it with my relationship with Kelly. If you were to come to me and say, hey, do you think Kelly would come and, and work for me here and do this? Now, I've been married a day or two, so I'm not going to give you an answer. Right? I'm not going to volunteer her for anything. I know how that works. I'm not about to. But when you ask me, here's what I'll say. Tell you what, I'll give you her number. You can call her or you can ask her. I'll ask her and let her get back to you. But when you ask, it's a general rule. I have an idea of what she's going to say. I have a pretty good idea of if she'll want to do it or if she won't want to do it. If she will or if she'll say no. Why? Because I know her well enough to know what she's like. I know what she wants to do, what she will do, what she likes to do. My relationship with her, I've grown in my knowledge and my understanding of her to the point that I can discern and make decisions about her that are generally right. And if we can do that with our spouse in that relationship, we should also be able to do that in our relationship with God. Because we're going to face things in our life. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt or thou shalt not. We're going to be faced with all kinds of issues that come up and we're going to have to make a decision. And the only way we'll make the right decision is if we're in a place where we have grown in our understanding of who God is and what God is like. If we know Him and we're able to make Him known. Go ahead and turn back to Philippians. We need to grow in our knowledge and understanding. But also I need to grow in my purity. Hang on. Philippians fell out of my Bible while we were away. There it is. Verse 10. That you may approve of things that are excellent. Notice that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Jesus Christ. That his desire for them now is that they, they would stand before Christ and they would have made the right decisions and they would have done the right things. Holiness is terribly important in our lives as believers. When you read through Scripture, you find the God of the Bible is holy. The God of the Bible calls on His people to be holy. All throughout Scripture, God calls on His people to be different than the world around them. They're to have different morals. They're to have different attitudes. They're to have different priorities. They're to react to stressors differently. They are to just, just generally be different because he is different. But Peter tells us this. As obedient children. Right, now let's just break this down. As obedient children. As parents. What is like one of the main things we want our kids to do? We want them to do what we say, right? We, we want them to reflect our family values. Right? We don't want our kids to go out in public and, and do things that are against our values to shame us. Right? Every parent has probably had an opportunity to have the, the great experience of their kids saying something inappropriate in a public place. And, and if you have, every parent says the exact same thing at that time. I don't know where they learned that. They didn't learn that at home, right? Haven't we all done that? Well, maybe my kids have done that. But anyway, um, 
I think sometimes the way we act and the way we do things, God wants to say, I didn't learn that from me. Right. God wants us to be his obedient children that reflect his character and his nature. Part of that is we are not to conform ourselves to our former lust as in our ignorance. Right. There was a way that we lived before we came to know Jesus Christ as our savior. And we lived that way because we didn't know any better. We didn't know what God wanted us to do. We didn't care what God wanted us to do. We didn't know about God's standards. We didn't know about God's will. We didn't know about God's morality. We didn't know about God's... We just didn't know those things. We didn't care about those things. But now, now we're different. Now we've been redeemed. Now we've been taught from Scripture. Now we know. And now that we know different, we're to live different. Right? We're to live in the way that we know God wants us to live. But as He who has called you is holy... Be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Right now, I like the part about be holy in, in all of your conduct. That's every part of our lives. Holiness affects everything we do. It affects the way that we think and the way that we speak. It affects the things that we do and what we watch. It affects what we read and how we live. I mean, there is no area of our lives that holiness does not impact. And so we are to be holy in every area of our lives because our God is holy. We are to do our best to reflect His character and His nature to a lost and dying world. People look at us, they should have an idea of what God is like because we should reflect him to them. Jesus thought the idea of holiness was so serious that look at what he said about this. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life lame or maimed than having two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. If your eye calls you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire. Now, don't go home and gouge out your eyes or cut off your hand because that's not meant to be taken literally. The principle there, though, is this. If something leads you into sin, get rid of it. If there's a friend that draws you away from Christ and into sin, sever the relationship. If there's a website you go to that leads you into sin, stop going there. If there is something, a part of your life that leads you away from Christ's will and into the the pull of the flesh and what you want to do, the sinful things, then then as believers in Jesus Christ, our responsibility is to, to get rid of it. And we do it because we desire the salvation that Jesus offers more than we desire the things that the world offers. We know it's better to lose the friendship and be with Jesus than it is to let them destroy our relationship with Jesus and have them and miss Christ. We need to grow in our holiness. We need to grow until we are better able to reflect the character, the nature of God to a lost and a dying world. And this is a a never-ending process that goes on in our lives. And then finally... I need to grow in my fruitfulness. It says in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, for the glory and praise 
of God. See, as we live for Jesus, there are things that happen in our lives, changes that are made, stuff that is produced because of our connection to Jesus. And as this stuff is produced, God is glorified. People see the difference that Jesus has made and they begin to recognize that probably there's something real about Jesus. And the Bible stresses the importance of fruit in our lives. Turn with me to John chapter 15. Page 824. John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not notice this bear fruit. He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, is cast out as a branch and withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now, it's pretty obvious that fruit bearing is a huge focus of what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Now, there's a couple of truths we have to understand about bearing fruit that Jesus brings out. One is that Jesus is committed to our bearing fruit. It says in in verse 2 that the branch that doesn't bear fruit is taken away. We don't have time to get into that. But the branch that does bear fruit is is pruned. So that it can bear more fruit. Jesus wants us to be as fruitful as possible. Do as much for His glory. And so if there's something in our lives that, that hinders us in this, holds us back from being all that He wants us to be, to bearing all the fruit that He wants us to bear, He will prune that. He will cut that away from our lives. Think along the lines of Hebrews 12, where it says to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, sin we know. We're to lay aside sin. But a weight is simply something that slows us down. And what may be a a weight to you may not be a weight to me. There may be... Areas of your life that Jesus prunes back so that you can bear more fruit that don't hinder me. And there may be areas of my life that he prunes back in my life that don't hinder you. Right? So I can't look at you and say, well, God's not doing that in your life, so he must not really be doing it in mine. Right? We all have to kind of judge on our own particular relationship with Jesus. He knows what will help us to be bear the most fruit and bring him the most glory. And he is committed to doing that, whatever that may be. A second truth is that... We will bear fruit, right? I am the vine, verse 5, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Now this is, to me, one of the really important ones. Because this is a promise. Jesus' words, if I abide in him, I will bear much fruit. I will, it's a certainty. And a lot of times what we do is, we take certain certainties, and they are really certain. And we take other certainties and say they're not so certain. Right? Let me give an example. Romans 10.13 It says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a certainty. If I've called on the name of the Lord, I don't have to wonder. 
God has saved me. God will save me if I call on the name of the Lord. I mean, that's absolutely, and that's, we, we cling to that, don't we? I mean, that is a hopeful verse. Because I don't always feel saved. I don't always do what's right. But I have called on the name of the Lord as best I know how. So I know I've been saved. It's an absolute certainty. We tell that to people when we're sharing the gospel with them. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, He will save you. He promises to do that. Well, just as it is certain that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, it is certain that those who abide in Jesus will bear fruit. And what we want to do is say the Romans 10.13 is absolutely certain, but bearing fruit is conditional. But they're the exact same. Just as God will save those who call upon Him, those who abide in Jesus will bear fruit. It is absolute. To the point that if we look at our lives and there's not fruit from our relationship with Jesus, we should be concerned. Now, the Bible gives out all kinds of fruit that there should be born. What I want us to think about are things or areas of our lives that are different just because of Jesus. Not different because we're older. Not different because our circumstances in life have changed. Not different because of external things. But different just because of Jesus. In every one of us, if we are truly saved and we are abiding in Jesus, we should be able to look at our lives and say, if I wasn't committed to Christ, I wouldn't be doing this, or I wouldn't be living this way, or I wouldn't act like this. It is only because of Jesus that this is evident and this is a part of my life. That is fruit, and it should be there. And if there is no fruit, that is a cause for concern. It is a cause for concern because there's either a problem with the vine or there's a problem with the branches. And the vine is Jesus, so he is always going to do his part. The problem is always with me. It's not that he's not working in me to make me what I ought to be. So that I'm not following him. I'm not surrendering to him. I'm not connected to him as I should be. Right? I mean, look at verse 8. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. What, what is evidence of the fact that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ? Change in my life that is attributed only to Jesus Christ. I mean, that is a, a great sign of my life, a a sign of genuine salvation and commitment to Christ, that I am different simply because of Jesus. That is something that should be in every one of our lives. Now, the amount of fruit we bear, it's going to vary from person to person. We won't all bear the same amount of fruit. don't, Don't think like that. The key isn't, am I as fruitful as Michael, or am I as fruitful as Gerald? The key to think about is, am I as fruitful as Stacy can be? Am I as fruitful as I possibly can be? Not comparison to any other person, just me. Am I bearing all the fruit that I can and that I should? If I am connected to Jesus, there, there should be fruit in my life. The thing is, there's There's always more fruit to be born. There's always other areas to change. And so we never grow complacent. It should always be happening. 
Now, to me, I think growing in the areas that we talked about today is, is difficult. I mean, it's easy to say to be this way, but man, these are really difficult areas of our lives to change and difficult ways to grow. So what are some practical actions we can take so that we can grow the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ in this way? I I, I thought of three that I think are critical. One, I need to want to live this way. You know, I think the number one reason we don't bear this kind of fruit, we don't live in this way, is we... We just don't want to. I mean, just think about love. Let's just talk about that one. I mean, the kind of love that the Bible talks about, that's not just the way I love my wife and my kids. But I'm also supposed to love you guys that way. But I'm not just supposed to love you guys who love me that way. I'm supposed to love people out there that way. I mean, Jesus even goes so far as to say I'm to love my enemies. (laughs) It's pretty hard. Do I... Do I want to turn the other cheek? Do I want to let things go? Do I want to love people in general? Jesus has loved me. Do I I want to grow in my knowledge and my understanding of God's will and God's ways? I mean, just a very basic knowledge is pretty comfortable. But to really know who He is and what He's like and... That takes effort. It's difficult. Do I really want that? Do I really want to progress in holiness? You know, I mean, that's difficult because why do we sin? Because we enjoy it. Our sin gives us pleasure and that's why we do it. It doesn't matter whether it's a sexual sin or gossip or pride or whatever it is. We take part in our sin because we enjoy our sin. Do I really want to let that go and cut it out of my life and move on? Do I really want to change and be different just because Jesus? I think this is the start. If we don't want it, we'll never do it. But if we want to do it, then we need to to pray to live this way. Uh, Paul prayed for the Philippians to bear this kind of fruit, for them to make these kind of changes in their lives. Because he knew that there's just we just can't do this. I mean, have you ever just decided I'm going to love someone that you didn't like and just flipped a switch and suddenly you love them and just couldn't wait to see them? I mean, does that work for anybody else? Because it doesn't work for me. For me, it takes something God does in my life to make me love in that way. And, and as far as progressing in holiness, again, it's not just a matter of, okay, I'm never going to do that again. I don't know how many times I've said that. It just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. When I've laid sin aside, it's because God has made a difference in in my life. So we need God's help. We need God's power to make these changes, to grow in these areas. So we have to to pray to live like this. And then finally, this is where the rubber meets the road. I have to work to live like this. Because all this stuff takes effort. All of this takes effort on my part. God will help me. But God will not just do all of these things for me. God will help me understand his word, but he will not impart the knowledge if I'm not willing to break it open and study it. God will help me to lay aside sin, but it is unlikely that he will just suddenly take away all my desires for sin. God will help me to love, but it's unlikely that he'll do it if I'm unwilling 
to work at being nice. We have to work to make the changes. We have to want it. We have to pray for it. We have to work for it. Are you willing to do those three things so that you can grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and love others in the way that He wants you to? To know Him in a way that enables you to make decisions that bring Him glory. To progress in holiness so that you reflect His character and nature. To be different, very different, just because Jesus and your connection to Him. This is what we have to do. Let's stand.